Korea. The uh, trip to Thailand involved meeting with our missionaries, uh, Paul and Susan Dickinson, who are in Chiang Mai, Thailand, doing a great work. From there, reaching into the land of China, where they once served, but were kicked out because of their proclamation of the gospel. And I was amazed at the wonderful work that they are doing with the Uyghur people uh, from Thailand and going into an area with technology, creating an app where the Uyghur people can uh, read the Bible and hear the Bible when they can't actually own a copy of the Bible. It's amazing the good work they're doing. Also in Chiang Mai, we had our annual board meeting for uh, ABTS, which is the Asian Biblical Theological Seminary. And I'm on that board through Cornerstone, so I have to fly to Thailand in February for our board meeting, as well as we had a great graduation that night uh, with 10 students. So there was good interaction with the faculty, the board meeting went well, uh, good interaction with the graduate students there. On my way home, I stopped in Seoul, Korea, and was able to preach last Sunday at the Song Tan Central Baptist Church, which is just south of Seoul, Korea. A church, I think, about as large as ours. They have three Sunday morning services. They start at eight in the morning and end after one o'clock, and uh, one after another. So I not only preached three times again, I had to sit through three entire services, which was just a little bit different and then preach through a, a, a translator, sometimes called an interpreter or interrupter. Uh, you've got to speak for a few minutes and stop and then let them speak. And the dear pastor uh, said to me, if I don't understand what you're saying, I'll just say whatever I want to say, <laughs> which I'm sure he did quite often. So, uh, but it was a lot of fun doing that. And I have to tell you, the day before, um, <clears throat> I was in the guest house uh, staying in Seoul, uh, the Far Eastern Broadcasting Company. Billy Kim, uh, well-known uh, Korean, is in charge of that still, and this is a radio station that's been around for years. Anyhow, I was in the guest house, had to take care of my own food, and so I was in their little uh, snack room uh, preparing breakfast, opened a cupboard, doing some work, and I smashed my head uh, into the cupboard and had a big red mark on my forehead. You can see just barely a remnant of it. I looked a little like Mikhail Gorbachev when uh, I went to preach the next Sunday. And it was so embarrassing because I didn't have any makeup to cover it up or, uh, or anything. And so uh, they were looking at this weird American with a big old mark on his forehead. And uh, I'm glad no one said, how did you get that? Well, I ran into a cupboard. Um, <laughs> The Lord has a way of humbling us, doesn't he? Uh, and that constantly happens in our life. But I praise the Lord for the good trip, safe trip, the opportunity to minister the word, but especially to be back home here safely and to be with you again. And so if the sermon seems a little weird today, blame it on jet lag. It was back in 1981 that Claudia Black wrote a best-selling book. And the title of it was, It Will Never Happen to Me. You heard of it? Uh, Claudia Black grew up in a home with alcoholic parents. And the title of the book is the vow that is made by many children of alcoholics or other addictive parents, parents with addictions. They vow, that will never happen to me. And so in the book, she spends a lot of time 
trying to understand how children cope in these difficult situations, the coping mechanisms they develop to deal with the traumatic experiences of childhood. She says she grew up in this field of alcoholism, a very interesting way to state all the life experiences and the atmosphere that she faced. Her family reeked with havoc by the emotional, physical, and spiritual ravages of addiction. And so she writes this book so that other COAs, children of alcoholics, or children who grow up with parents who are in addictions, so they can learn to live and cope and battle with these things. The interesting title of the book, It Will Never Happen to Me, is ironic because it usually does, to a large degree, happen to them. The thing they detest becomes part of their normal practice. It says the title of the book refers to the grim vow that so many make as children, watching their alcoholic or otherwise addicted parents their behaviors and their consequences. Unfortunately, as Black points out, once those children become adults, it's all too likely that they will indeed repeat those very patterns unless they take rigorous and focused action to change them and break the cycle that has probably been going on in their families for generations. And I think of that vow, it will never happen to me, and I think of Peter, in Mark chapter 14, who when Jesus said, you're all going to go away, Peter said, it'll never happen to me. I mean, many of us as believers can't understand Judas betraying Jesus. In that Passover meal, when Jesus was sitting with his disciples around a table, he stunned them when he made this startling statement, one of you will betray me. And immediately they were saddened, and they said, it's not I, surely not I, couldn't be me. Even Judas said, Lord, it's not me, is it? And even though it was startling to think that one of them would betray Jesus, just shortly after that, this is Mark chapter 14 and verse 20, he said, all of you are going to betray me, verse 27. One of you will betray me, but all of you will desert me. Betrayal at a different level. Did you know, dear Christian, that you are programmed to fall. <laughs> we sang a moment ago, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Now, you weren't created that way, but when we, as a human race, sinned, our whole DNA spiritually was corrupted, and we are programmed to fall. And so when Jesus said, all of you are going to fall, they were shocked. But it is true. And I would say to every believer listening to my voice today, you are programmed to fall. And sometime you will disappoint your Savior. Not follow through. Not lovingly obey. I think the disciples were shocked to hear that the fall was going to be total and comprehensive. That all 12 would turn tail and run. And to prove it, he quoted some scripture. 
Notice he quotes from Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7 when he says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And so now you've got scripture to back up this universal claim that all of us as believers at one time or another are going to disappoint our Savior and fall. And the poster child for failure is Peter. Because this chapter describes the worst day of his life. I think Peter's a good study in, in when believers fall. Peter's a good study on what happens to us when believers fall and how do we do it and what are the consequences of it. It's all in this chapter. And so if you are going to fall, and you are, you better be acquainted with what happened to Peter and put up the safeguards so that you are not victimized in exactly the same way. Howard Hendricks once said that the fall of Peter was not a sudden blow-up it was a slow leak. Think of a tire on your car. Have you ever had the experience driving down the road where the tire just blew all of a sudden? You hit something and the tire blew? I mean, that happens, but I think more often than not, it's the nail that gets into the tire. And it doesn't happen right away, but slowly it begins to leak. And then you find yourself a few days with a flat tire. And you say, how did that happen? It kind of happens slowly. So slowly, you were unaware. And I think that's what happened to Peter as well. Well, when Jesus made the statement, all of you are going to fall, Peter responded with a word of boasting. Peter said in verse 29, even if everyone else falls away, I will not. This is one of, those poor, uh, one of those times where I would love to hear the portion of Scripture read with the same tonation that Peter had. Sometimes we read it without feeling, but I, I've got to believe there's a little bit of arrogance in this statement. I don't know if Peter stood up. I don't know how loud he was, but I think he said something like this. Listen, Jesus, <laughs> I just want to inform you that if everyone falls away, not me. I never will. It will never happen to me. Have you ever said that? You see someone else involved in sin and you say, boy, that will never happen to me. Really? Peter's boasting when he should be humble. He's overconfident. He's, he's got misplaced confidence. He's, he's ignorant of how weak he really is. And that is so true of many of our, us as believers. You remember the popular verse in the book of Proverbs chapter 16, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Yeah. Peter is filled with arrogance. Now who is this guy? Well, I think from a human standpoint, he might have reason to be somewhat arrogant. He was rather successful. He grew up as a successful fisherman. Uh, the Bible tells us, living in Bethsaida and then Capernaum, all on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he ran a pretty successful fishing business. And, and he was a fisherman with a strong country accent. We're actually going to see that in Mark chapter uh, 14 a little later on. And so when I think of a fisherman with a strong accent, I think of the, a Gloucester fisherman just north of Boston. Have you ever been there? Or have you seen the movie with George Clooney, The Perfect Storm? 
made in the year 2000. It was made about those fishermen in Gloucester who are tough men with this strong accent, and when they begin to speak, you know exactly where they're from. And that's Peter. Jesus said to Peter, you are Petras. That means a little chip of a stone off of a rock. But Jesus said, you're going to be Petra, which refers to the very rock itself. And so Peter goes from being a a successful fisherman to being a successful spiritual leader of the disciples' band. In fact, every time the 12 disciples are mentioned, Peter is always mentioned first. Did you notice that? He's the leader of the group. He's mentioned more in the Gospels than anyone except Jesus, and he speaks more than anyone except Jesus. He's the guy with a bold confession. Matthew chapter 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he adds to that later on, John tells us in John 6. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. He was always there, right on. Spiritually and theologically astute. He knew who Jesus was and wasn't afraid to declare. By the way, Peter is the first and only person outside of Christ to walk on the water. Wouldn't you like to have that on your resume? A water walker. That's Peter. This guy had done a lot of stuff. He was inquisitive, wholehearted, transparent, decisive, volcanic. He was a man's man. This is Peter. And I can just see Peter saying, you know, Lord, I realize that the the other guys are a bunch of weaklings, but I'll never fall. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I tell you the truth, verse 30, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. Twice, Thrice, twice the rooster will crow, and three times you will disown me. And what does Peter say to that? Thank you, Lord, for your insight. I humbly bow to your wisdom. (laughs) No, he becomes more emphatic. Listen, Jesus, I said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. By the way, Peter's the only disciple who rebuked Jesus. That takes guts. Actually, it takes stupidity. (laughs) But you and I do it all the time. Lord, I'm afraid you're wrong. Let me set you straight. So here he is boasting about how he is going to stand when everyone else falls. Stuart Holden said, Peter is not the kind of flower born to blush unseen. He is impulsive And he is courageous. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 6, there are six things that God hates. Yes, seven are an abomination unto him. And the very first one in the list of seven is this. Get it. Haughty eyes. An arrogant heart. And why does God hate an arrogant heart? Because an arrogant heart destroys the people God loves. 
It's the arrogant heart that keeps us away from grace. At least three times in the scriptures, Proverbs, Peter, James, we have this verse, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the what? Humble. If you're arrogant, you're in opposition to God. He opposes you, but if you'll humble yourself before him, he will grace you. And so Peter, in his arrogance, was forfeiting the grace that would make him strong. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you that think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. The moment you think you cannot fall, you're a prime candidate to fall. And so one of the most obvious paths to falling is overconfidence. And one of the clearest ways to tell if you're overconfident is when you stop praying. When we go on with the text, we find Peter is not boasting now. He's sleeping. Look at verse 32. You know this story well. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John. This is the inner circle of the 12, the elite of the 12, the insiders. He took them along with him, and he was deeply distressed. Jesus revealed that his heart was troubled, that his soul was overwhelmed, even to the point of death. He was filled with sorrow. And don't you want to help your friend when they're in a situation like that? So Jesus says to his friends, hey, I could use your help. Stay here and keep watch. The end of verse 34. Jesus went a little further. He fell to the ground. He prayed, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, he's not trying to avoid the cross. And I think the cup that he was referring to was, in part, the cup of being separated from the Father when he had to cry out, why have you forsaken me? But the cup of our sin he would drink because that's why he came. And so he is praying, Abba, Father, everything's possible for you. Verse 37, he returned to the disciples and he found them what? Sleeping. And so instead of saying to James or John, he said to the leader, Peter, hey Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? And what does the word watch mean? Well, it means to be alert, but it means more than that because verse 38 connects it with the idea of prayer. Watch and pray so that you do not fall. Jesus said, you're all going to fall. Peter said, I'll never fall. And he goes to sleep. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. I realize the spirit is willing, but I also understand that your body is weak. Most believers are well-meaning people, and they desire to live godly lives. The problem is you're weak, and your weakness is not partial. It's total. And the only way you can make it through this life is to pray. And the thing that reveals that you're overconfident and arrogant is your lack of prayer. I can go it alone. Prayer helps prevent 
prevent disasters and failures. The lack of prayer opens our heart to failure. And this story is repeated not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus goes away, prays the same thing, comes back. They're sleeping again. And verse 40, uh, this is classic. They did not know what to say to him. They were speechless. This reminds me of a kid with his hand caught in the cookie jar. The mom says, don't you get those cookies? And she turns her back, and the kid gets the cookie, and she says, what are you doing? I just told you not to get the cookie. And then she walks away, and what does the kid do? Go back to the cookie jar. And come, the mother comes and says, what are you doing? And the child is speechless. There's nothing they can say. They've got that funny grin on their face. Lack of prayer is inexcusable. We have nothing to say when our Savior says, how come you don't want to spend time with me? How come you think you can go it alone? How come you think you're impregnable, you will never fall? Hmm. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. And so Jesus says, enough. That's it. And that's when Judas comes, the text tells us, and betrays his master with a kiss. And there was a group of soldiers, probably temple guards with him, and some of the Sanhedrin and priests were there. It was a whole large group with lanterns and clubs, (laughs) all coming to get Jesus. But we read in verse 20, or 47, jump down to verse 47, When the men seized Jesus, one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So now Peter is fighting when he should be trusting. I find it interesting that he was passive in prayer when he should have been active, and now when he should be passive with his sword, he becomes very active. You see, you and I become inappropriate in our actions when we're not on our knees before God in prayer. And our agenda gets all mixed up, and when we act, we don't. When we should be acting, we don't, and when we shouldn't be acting, we do. And it's the arm of the flesh. Peter pulls out his sword. Now, on the one hand, this was pretty bold, wasn't it? And on the other hand, it was really dumb and foolish. And it shows that he didn't have a lot of practice with his sword because I'm sure he was going for the guy's head and just barely cut the guy's ear off. And the scripture gives us some more insight. In John's gospel, chapter 8, John is the one who tells us it was Peter See, Mark doesn't mention that. Isn't that interesting? Remember all of Mark's gospel comes from the sermons of Peter, and maybe Mark is just trying to protect his favorite spiritual leader, but Mark doesn't mention his name in verse 47, but John does. John 18, verse 10, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. We even know the guy's name, And Luke adds this, Jesus touched the guy's ear and healed him. Wow, that must have been amazing. The power to heal in that moment must must have touched every heart. 
But here, Peter is fighting. It's an inappropriate action due to his lack of prayer, due to his lack of understanding of what Jesus is going to do. In fact, in John's gospel, Jesus says this. Don't you know that I need to drink the cup of my father? Had you been praying and listening instead of sleeping when I was in the garden, you would have heard the battle and you would have understood that I surrendered to drink the cup of the father. This has to happen. And it's time. I see a lot of Christians who fight in the arm of the flesh when they should be trusting the agenda of God. And we, we began to fight against God himself. So Peter is boasting when he should be humble. He's sleeping when he should be praying. He's fighting when he should be trusting. And then he's hiding when he should be courageous. Look at verse 50. Then everyone deserted Christ and fled, just as he said. They all ran. Verse 54 tells us that Peter was following Jesus at a distance. John had access, actually, into the trial because he knew the high priest. Peter didn't. So Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest, verse 54, and he sat with the guards, and he warmed himself with a fire. And the rest of the text from 55 down to 65 talks about what is happening on the trial, during the trial of Christ and his accusers and, and how he's being blamed. But if you jump down to verse 66, when Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him and said, you're also with that Nazarene Jesus. You're one of them, is what she said. Verse 68, but Peter denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. And now Peter is hiding or we could use the word lying. When he should be bold and courageous, Peter is denying his Lord, the thing he said he would never do. And why is he denying his Lord? Because he was filled with arrogance and stopped praying. He boasted too much and he prayed too little. And now he finds himself trying to hide even from a servant girl. It happens a second time. The servant girl sees him at the entrance. This is verse 69. He's in the entrance way now, away from the fire. And she says to those standing around, this fellow's one of them, and he denies it. And then after a little while, one of the gospel writers said it was about an hour. Some of those who were standing near to Peter said, surely you're one of them. I can tell you're a Galilean by your accent. That's exactly what Matthew says. I can tell where you're from by the way you talk. And by the way, the person who made this last challenge in accusation, we're told in, uh, in one of the Gospels, I think it's John, that he was a relative of Malchus, the guy who had his ear cut off. So he had a little bit of revenge in mind. And Peter knew that. And that's when he began to call down curses, verse 71, on himself. May I be cursed. I swear by the God of heaven that I don't know what you're talking about and I don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus? I don't know this man you're talking about, verse 71. How low can you go? 
You say, I would never do that. Oh, really? When persecution gets tough, there's a lot of people who cave in. When temptation comes your way, if you're not watching and praying, you will fall. And so, what do you do when you fall? Verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed. And we're told in Luke's gospel that Jesus, at that moment, looked straight at Peter. He must have come out of the trial room and he saw Peter there. He heard the rooster crow. Maybe he heard what Peter had said, calling down curses. That doesn't mean profanity. It means he's taking an oath. Jesus heard it, looked straight at him, and Peter remembered. He was a real believer, so he remembered. The word of God was in his heart, and he remembered. And the Bible tells us he broke down and wept. The one who was bold in confession of Christ was also bold in his denial of Christ, and he was totally broken. And now we see him weeping when he should be weeping. This is the first appropriate response. What do you do when you fall? I hope you confess your sin to Christ because he longs to give you forgiveness. There's a little bit of insight from Luke's gospel into what is going on. A wonderful portion of scripture tells us that Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, do you know that Satan desires to sift you like wheat? But I've prayed for you, Simon, so that your faith won't fail. And when you have turned back, which implies a fall, I want you to strengthen your brothers. So uh, the scripture is telling us that the enemy has a plan to sift you like wheat. The devil does. The Savior is praying for you that won't, you won't lose your faith. But you will fall. And when you do, the Lord wants to strengthen you and forgive you. Psalm 145, verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. And so what did Jesus do for Peter? John 21 says, remember when Peter was fishing and he said to Peter, do you love me more than the fishing business? Peter says, you know that I'm fond of you. Jesus said it three times. Three times. He called him back to forgiveness because three times he denied his Savior. Do you know what the first words recorded to Peter are in the Gospels? Follow me. Do you know what the last words recorded in the Gospels to Peter are? Follow me. John chapter 21. Yeah, but Peter made a great failure. Yeah, and so will you. So what do you do when you fall? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know I'm talking to some believers who've fallen and you're far away from God. In your arrogance, you don't pray anymore and you think you can fight the good fight on your own. My friend, you're a prime candidate for a fall if you haven't already. 
So now you're afraid to come back to Jesus. Like Peter, you're broken and you run and you go back to your old business of fishing. And Jesus comes after you today in grace and mercy. And he says, I uphold everyone who falls down and I lift up everyone who is bowed down. Confess your sins and he will restore you. Just like he did Peter. Let's pray. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me just ask you, what about you? Have you been praying like you should? Or have you been filled with arrogance? Have you been fighting your battles in the flesh? When you're at work, do you deny that you even know Jesus, that you're a Christian, because you're afraid of what people will say? All of us will fall, but Jesus lifts up the fallen. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that you will hear every prayer from every soul that says, I am far away from you. From every person who confesses, I'm in the pit, I've fallen, and without your grace, there's no recovery. Lord, I pray that you will see every heart that's broken and weeping this morning. And may you heal them just like you did Peter. And Lord, may we understand that tragic failure, deeply repented of, does not disqualify us for future service and abundant life in Christ. Because you delight in forgiveness. Jesus, we pray these things in your matchless name. Amen.